Metamore Studios proudly presents Metamore City, Season 2, a podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester. For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com. Featuring the vocal talents of May Bregal, Kimmy Alexander, Tristan Johnson, Kitty McKeon, Mark Smith, Brian Lincoln, Meredith Matthews, Nathan Lowell. These stories may contain adult language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Dreams of Change, Part 3. Handcuffed, transported, cataloged, scanned, interviewed, questioned, interrogated. They wanted to know what I had done with Matheson. Was he dead? Had I hidden him away somewhere? Did I know how to make a non-detection scroll? Did I know where to get one? They asked how much I hated him, how much he deserved it. I stuck to my story, stuck to the truth. Yes, I hated Matheson, but not enough to kill him. Not enough to do anything like that. Finally, with a frustrated growl, Lieutenant Harcourt finished the session by calling the officer waiting in the hall to take me to my cell. I was glad to get out of the interview room, even if it was to get locked up. All right, Stansfield, said the officer, guiding me down the corridor. Got any spells on you for medical reasons? Hard spells, kidney spells, anything like that? Well, the transformation spell that makes me look like this gives me my arms and legs. What? Without the spell, I'm a triple amputee. Huh. Well, you can live without them, right? Because a cell's a man of dead room. Right. Great. If I had known this was going to happen, I'd have brought my prostheses. Can I call someone to go get them? Yeah, no problem. You get a call to your lawyer anyway. Through here. He put me in a tiny room with a desk and a telephone. A big poster on the wall had phone numbers for legal aid societies and pro bono lawyers. I ignored them and punched in a number I had memorized. Hello? Don't hang up, Natalie. It's Ben Stansfield. I need your help. You're the only person who's ever been a friend for me. She paused for several seconds. What do you need? She was suspicious, but at least she didn't hang up. I've been arrested. Must have been some party. It wasn't a party. I'm surprised you haven't already heard. I'm not exactly plugged into the gossip network. Natalie, I've been accused of killing Matheson. What? It's a long story, and I don't have a lot of time. I need you to find me a lawyer and get him to bring over the arms and legs in my dorm room. They're going to put me in a mana dead cell, and that's going to put me back in my normal form. I probably won't revert when I come out, so I'm going to need them. Okay, Ben. I know someone. I'll see if he's free. I hung up the phone, and when I came out, the officer had a wheelchair ready for me. Have a seat, Stansfield. I'll wheel you in. Wouldn't want you to fall down. I sat. You're being cool about this. Yeah, well, you're being pretty cool about all this, too. You make my life easier, I make your life easier. He pushed me a short distance down the hall to a depressingly heavy iron door. Are you sure you gotta put me in there? Standard procedure. 
The Watch Wizard is busy helping the Magic Squad handle an unbound decay elemental down in the lower levels. He kicked a plate on the wall and the door creaked open, revealing a small cell lined in lead plates. Wow, those things are dangerous. If it isn't taken care of, it could erode the foundations of a building. No kidding. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. We rolled in and I closed my eyes, ready to go back to my natural form. Except I didn't. Huh. Well, ain't that a kick? Must be some kind of spell on you there, Stansfield. I guess you don't need the chair, huh? I looked at my hands, rubbed my fingers against my thumbs. They tingled a little, but aside from that, there was no sign that anything was happening. I guess not. Okay, well, take it easy, kid. I'll let you know when your lawyer gets here. The door closed, and the locks engaged with a loud clank. For a while there, I just sat and waited for the spell to fade, but it didn't. That surprised me, because I had been in a mana dead room once before, when I was fitted for my last set of prosthetics. That time, I had reverted to my usual form within seconds. I glanced around the room. The little window in the door to look into the cell was closed, but there was a video camera in the corner. I would need to be careful not to arouse any suspicion. Just in case the spell faded mid-stride, I moved quickly to transfer myself to the bed and sit with my back to the camera. I took the pillow in my hands and tried a minor color alteration spell, intending to change it from yellow to gray. Nothing happened. The power was there, I could feel it, but it wouldn't move. It wouldn't travel outside my body. I lay down on the bed and considered the situation more deeply. After all, it was better than obsessing about my fate if the cops decided that I actually had murdered Matheson. I forced myself to mull over the transformation problem. If my own magic was non-functional in the cell, then the spell that made me into this shape couldn't be coming from me, could it? That certainly put a new angle on it. And as the idea occurred to me, I had to chuckle. All those psychiatrists and experts who told me that it was basically all my fault could go jump off a skyway. They were wrong. A few hours later, the door opened with a reverberating series of clanks and swung away. Mr. Stansfield? The man at the door was a seven-foot-tall Batmorph, wearing an impressively tailored gray suit. His high-pitched voice seemed oddly misplaced with his great barrel chest. He had a briefcase in one hand, and a large sack under his arm bulged with familiar-looking knees and elbows and feet and hands. Yes, that's me. I'm Nathan Grace. My daughter Natalie said you could use my help. Sorry it took so long for me to get down here for you. There's always so much paperwork involved in these things. His voice took on a slight note of puzzlement. I was told you were going to be needing your prostheses. Didn't turn out that way. I got up from the bed. I hope this wasn't any trouble. Happy to help a friend of Natalie's. Will you come with me? I've got an interview room reserved for us. The first thing Mr. Grace had me do was tell him the story from the beginning. I left out the part about the masturbation. That was clearly in the too much information category. He made notes in several places and asked questions to clarify along the way, but mostly he just listened. When I was done, he put his notebook back in his briefcase. Mr. Stansfield, I don't think the police have much of a case against you. 
If you spent the night in John Randall's dorm room, then there will be plenty of evidence to that effect in his room. I'll have them look for fingerprints and magical traces. That will at least help corroborate your story. I hoped he couldn't see my blush through the dark color of my cheeks. How much longer do I have to stay here? There is the question of whether you were conspiring with John Randall. I wasn't. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Because that's what they'll fall back on when the evidence proves that you were in John Randall's room last night. They'll say you convinced him to threaten him, or assault him, or whatever, and that it led in part to his disappearance. I'll submit to a truth spell. Are you sure you want that? You told me that you cast a spell over John Randall to make him look like you. If that came out in court, that could get you suspended, or even expelled. No, I guess not. All right. Don't worry, I think your chances of a satisfactory conclusion are quite good. The evidence of an actual crime is somewhat circumstantial at this point. They don't have a body, don't have a ransom note. I just wanted to warn you that it may be a little bumpy. He packed up his briefcase, moved to the door, and knocked. I'll talk to the judge about getting you out. I've dealt with Judge Takaro on many occasions. He's an eminently reasonable man. Just take it easy. One thing at a time, right? Right. True to his word, after a short hearing, I was released. I had my arms and legs in a sack over my shoulder, and the rest of my belongings in my pockets. You didn't need to post my bond too, sir, I said as we walked out of the courtroom and into the parking garage. Did you have anyone else who could pay it? I guess not. My phone beeped and I took it out and read the text message. I groaned. Oh, that's just great. What's wrong, Ben? It's from my RD, Miss Kennedy. My room has been declared a possible crime scene. I'm not allowed in. I took out my phone. I'll call her and find out where I'm supposed to go. He shrugged. Don't bother. Come with me. I can put you up for a few days until the police finish their investigation. You've been so kind already. I couldn't ask for that. We stopped at a sleek black skimmer. You're not asking, I'm giving. Besides, if you disappear, I'm out 20,000 marks. I'll rest easier knowing where you are. And if you hear from John Randall, I'll be there to coach you on what to say to him. He spoke a quick code phrase in a language I didn't recognize, and the car door popped open. You think he'll call? I don't know. You tell me. We slid into the dark, luxurious interior of his car. I had never been in a vehicle as fancy as this. Whoa. My gaze slid off of the glossy wood panels of the dashboard. The electronics flashed to life and a quiet feminine voice said, Good afternoon, Mr. Grace. Where would you like to go today? Home, V. Yes, Mr. Grace. Without touching the controls, the car lifted from the deck and glided out towards the skyway. I guess you don't just defend penniless college kids. You're actually my first. He folded a screen and keyboard out of the dashboard and started writing a document. I took it as a cue that his time for idle chatter was done, and I turned my attention to the window. I tried to get my bearings, but I had taken very few rides this high on the skyways, and I didn't see any landmarks I recognized. Would John Randall call me? I didn't know, and I kicked myself for it. How could I have gotten involved this way with someone I barely knew? It was stupid. I took out my phone and checked the screen. No messages. 
Of course he wasn't going to call me. I was just a pawn in his scheme against Matheson. Or maybe it wasn't a scheme. Maybe there had been a fight and Randall had killed Matheson in self-defense and then panicked and run off. Or something like that. I hated not knowing. The skimmer negotiated the afternoon rush hour traffic with ease, and after only a few minutes we were approaching a large open garage in the side of a building. The car's voice said, We are arriving, Mr. Grace. He looked up, checking the chronometer in its displays. V, show me my appointments this afternoon. You have three appointments between now and dinner time, Mr. Grace. A new document appeared on his screen. Looks like I don't have time to show you around, Ben. I'll send a message ahead for Harrison to get you settled in, but I'm going to have to leave you here, I'm afraid. Is Natalie here? I don't know. V, is Natalie at home? Miss Grace is not currently in the residence, Mr. Grace. There you go. The skimmer settled to a stop in the garage, and my door opened with a hiss. Thanks again, Mr. Grace. You're welcome. Give my regards to Natalie. I climbed out. I will, sir. The door closed again, the turbine spun up, and the skimmer returned to the streets. A doorway opened, revealing a tall, thin figure dressed all in black. He was a theriomorph of some kind, but I couldn't place the species. Something with large eyes and dark fur. Welcome to the Belfry, Mr. Stansfield. He stumbled a bit over the word Mr., probably unsure whether to just stop with Miss. I'm Harrison. Please allow me to get your bag. I've got it, thanks. Bats. Belfry. It was nice to know my host had a sense of humor. He strode closer and took the bag from my shoulder, hefting it with surprising ease given his frame. Nonsense, Mr. Stansfield. You are a guest of Mr. Grace, and I am Mr. Grace's butler. This is my job. Would you follow me? Through the elaborately carved door, I found a huge living room, two stories high, with a marble staircase curving up to a balcony on the second level. Expensive-looking works of art hung from the walls, looking down on leather sofas and chairs in conversation clusters. A desk of dark wood sat in one corner, devoid of papers or clutter. Through a grand archway, I could see a dining table with chairs lined up on both sides. There were no place settings, but the gold-edged tablecloth and crystal candelabra looked fit for a state dinner. Oh, I'm sure you're hungry, sir. What should I have the kitchen send out? My brain seized up. I had no idea what to ask for. I don't know. A burger? Of course, sir. Please, have a seat. Lunch will be served presently. Harrison took my laundry bag full of spare limbs up the stairs and disappeared down a side hallway. A few minutes later, a silver tray floated into the room with a fat hamburger sitting on a roll with sautéed onions and mushrooms dripping off of it. It was delicious. When I had to stop halfway through because my belly felt like it would burst, I set the remainder on the tray with regret. Harrison appeared at the balcony. I have taken the liberty of querying your instructors at university for notes and classwork you have missed today, and sent them to the terminal in your room. Feel free to work there if you desire privacy, or you can use the guest office here if you prefer. Thank you, Harrison. Ugh, schoolwork. My professors would probably have snarky comments on my absence, 
especially if word had gotten to them about why I wasn't there. Still, it needed to be done, and if there was anything I couldn't afford now, it was to lose my scholarships because of bad grades. I suppose I'll use your guest office. If there was anything I didn't want, it was to be shut up in a guest room, too much like the holding cell at the police station. Very good, sir. Harrison descended the stairs and met me by the desk in the corner of the room. Just sit down at the workstation and your controls will appear. I assume you are familiar with illusory interfaces? I sat, and a transparent keyboard and monitor appeared on the desktop. Recognized, Ben Stansfield, appeared on the screen. I've created a guest account on the network for you. I see. The screen faded to a familiar desktop setup. All the tools I could possibly need were there, clearly labeled. Word processor, spreadsheet, encyclopedic reference, everything. Alongside folders for each of my classes. Will there be anything else, sir? I looked up from the workstation and smiled. You've been very helpful. No thank you. He gave me a slight deferential nod and disappeared. I took a deep breath and dived into my studies. Natalie arrived a few hours later. I owe you an apology. I looked up from the terminal. Natalie's face wasn't terribly expressive, but I could see regret in her eyes. Anyone could have made that mistake. No, please. Ben, I mistook your intentions. If I had gone with you to meet John Randall, you'd have had a witness and you wouldn't be in this trouble. This is... She swallowed hard. This is all my fault. No. I stood up and came around the desk to take her shoulders in my hands. This is John Randall's fault. He's the one who drew me into this. He used me. You did what you thought was right. If I had explained better, you wouldn't have misunderstood. Don't blame yourself. She nodded. I realized how close I was to her and pulled away. Are you hungry? She asked. I looked back at the workstation, with everything it represented, and felt the weight of the hamburger still in my gut. Starved. I picked at the little pile of steamed vegetables and the big slab of rare steak on my plate. Instead of eating in the big formal dining room on the main floor, Natalie had our dinners brought up to a smaller room on the upper level. This one was a lot homier, with family portraits on the walls rather than abstract art. So, why isn't someone like you going to Brightleaf College, or Madison, or someplace like that? How come just regular old Empire U? She shook her head. I don't fit in in a place like that. I glanced around at the room. You're next door neighbors with the Majestrics, and you don't fit in at Brightleaf? It's not like that. We didn't always have money like this. I went to public high school until Dad got this new job. She waved her fork vaguely. All of this doesn't really feel like home. Not yet, anyway. Probably won't ever. Better than prison, though, huh? She plastered a smile on her face. There was a melancholy in her voice. Some hidden pain associated with their home. But I didn't want to pry. I welcomed the change of subject. Oh, much more comfortable. But I'm actually kind of glad I got arrested. What? Well, their wizard detected my transformation spell, and like anyone else who's tried, couldn't remove it. 
so they put me in a mana free cell. Well, yes, they... Wait, you're still transformed. You noticed. I gave her a wry smile. There's something very odd going on. I can't make sense of it. Everything I've learned in monology classes tells me that it shouldn't have happened. The energy for any spell, even long-term spells, comes from the environment. Take away the mana and the spell fades away. Maybe the room wasn't as dead as they said it was. A leak, maybe? I shook my head. No, I tried a spell. There was nothing. Nothing at all to draw on. That is weird. Yeah, I'm going to see whether my professor has anything to say on the topic. Maybe she'll listen to me this time. I looked over in the direction of the front door. So, when do your parents get home? Dad's with the client. He'll be out late. My mother doesn't live with us anymore. So much for not prying. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it's a fair question. I'd like to say that I'm over it, but... She shrugged. You'll remember her forever. I felt my throat tighten, and I swallowed hard to keep from choking up. You lost your mother? Both parents, actually. The accident almost killed me, too. I'm sorry. We sat in silence for a while, and then Natalie got up from the table. I'm not really hungry, and I have some studying to do. I'll see you in the morning, okay? Yeah, good night. Thanks for everything you've done. Don't mention it. I usually leave for class around 8.30. Is that early enough for you? That's fine. My first class is at 10. She left, and the room felt just a little bit colder, just a little bit darker. I decided that my studies were calling me as well. In the morning, Harrison woke me carrying a tray with coffee, an orange peeled and sectioned, a boiled egg, and two pieces of sourdough toast with butter and jam. He set it down on the bed next to me and straightened up. Good morning, Mr. Stansfield. I hope I was not amiss in waking you. Miss Grace informed me that you would be traveling to school with her this morning. I blinked, looking down at myself. My body hadn't changed overnight, which was a good thing, I supposed. I didn't have any of my extra clothes handy. I took the liberty of laundering the outfit you were wearing yesterday— If you like, however, we have some clothes here that might fit you, and I have gotten permission from Miss Grace for you to borrow them, if you like. After I had eaten, showered, and taken care of the other morning necessities, I looked over the clothes Harrison had laid out for me. Alongside my t-shirt and skirt, there was a business suit, with a skirt well below knee length. The blouse was conservatively cut and when I tried it on, it helped conceal my body's decidedly unconservative curves. I decided any identity confusion would be a good thing, especially with everything that had gone on. What did it matter if anyone knew who I was? I put on the business suit. Everything except the bra fit well enough, but I didn't have much choice on that score, so, under wire or not, I went with it. I looked at myself in the mirror. For the first time in a long time, I didn't feel the urge to mutter freak under my breath. Natalie knocked on my door. I let her in and held out my arms to show off the outfit. What do you think? It looks good. Lots better than that t-shirt did. I understand why you wore it, but... I know. It seems a little silly, doesn't it? 
I went back to the mirror. I was holding on so hard to my identity that I was hurting myself. Maybe loosening my grip a bit isn't so bad. When I turned back, instead of Natalie's spindly, dark-furred body, she was a petite human with a cute turned-up nose and long black hair. Her huge brown eyes held my gaze with warmth and sympathy. Her dark blue tunic had changed into a simple knee-length dress. If anyone knows the body isn't self, it's the cursed. There was definitely something vulnerable about her, standing there, showing me an aspect of herself that, as far as I knew, she generally kept hidden. The fact that she would have to spend as much time in complete bat form as she did in this human form heightened my appreciation. You didn't have to do this. I wanted to. Then, a twitch and a shake later, she was back in half-bat form. Come on. Coffee's ready. If we hurry, we can drink it here before we have to leave. I thought I had been an outcast before Matheson's disappearance. I had no idea. The university gave me an education in anathema by the time the last class was over. Everyone had heard what happened, and everyone assumed I had done it. When I sat down at tables, people got up and left. When I took my seat in class, there was always a gap around my chair, even if someone had to leave the room to make it happen. People whispered behind my back, and in front of my face. Instead of looking at me with scorn or derision, I saw contempt. Then Conrad, one of Matheson's friends, came up and stood over me as I sat in the student union waiting for Natalie. You've got a lot of damn nerve coming back here after what you did. I didn't do anything. Bullshit. He slapped the soda cup out of my hand, splattering it all over the empty seat next to me. The room went silent. I shook off my hand and stood up. With as much sincerity as I could muster, I looked him in the eye and said, I did not do anything to her, Matheson. Oh yeah? Then who did? If you boys are done butting heads... Both of us turned to see Lieutenant Harcourt standing by the coffee machines. He stirred in a couple packets of creamer and threw the stick in the trash. I came by to let you know in person. Lab test came in. No one in Matheson's room but him and John Randall. The warrant's out for Randall's arrest. I pushed past Conrad to get another drink. The room was instantly abuzz with conversation again, no doubt digesting this newest bit of gossip. The cop handed me a business card. Stay in touch. I took it and stuffed it into the pocket of my jacket. Thank you. And thanks for telling me out here where folks can hear it. No problem. And I mean it. Stay in touch. Let me know if Randall contacts you. He turned and ambled out, a crowd of students parting in front of him like he had lights and a siren going. Natalie came in just as he was leaving. What was that about? Is everything okay? He said I'm cleared. No longer a suspect. Ben, that's wonderful. Conrad was still nearby, huddled in a conversation circle. Oh yeah? Well, if you ask me, you were in on it with Randall. This changes nothing. There were nodding heads around him, but at least I wasn't getting chased by an angry mob. Let's go. Suddenly, I don't have much taste for the coffee here. 
Outside, we made our way to the parking garage and the little two-seat skimmer that Natalie used for getting back and forth to school. It was the type with a stylish exterior that looks like it goes about 200, and a couple of anemic hamsters under the hood. While we were driving back to the Belfry, my phone rang. Hello? Ben Stansfield? This is Marjorie Kennedy. I'm calling to let you know that your room has been released by the police, so you can go in now to get your things. To what? You can get your things. I make myself clear, do I not? You seem to be implying that I'm supposed to move out or something. That's exactly what I'm saying, Mr. Stansfield. By your own admission, you broke the rules against spellcasting in the dormitories. Given the history of trouble surrounding your residency, I have no choice but to remove the university's offer of housing. No, listen. Are you claiming that you lied to the police, Mr. Sansfield? I groaned. No, I'm not. Very well, then. I expect your belongings to be out by the end of the week. Good day, Mr. Sansfield. Click. I growled and almost threw the phone out the window. What happened? being thrown out of the dorm. Do you have anywhere else to go? Orphan, remember? I've got an uncle out in the flatlands, but I'll be damned if I'm going there until all my other options are spent. I'll sleep on the streets if I have to. She looked over at me briefly. You could stay with us until you find a place. Want your dad mind? I mean, he hardly knows me. He knows I'm a big girl. I make my own choices. Besides, if he... Well... He won't object. She pulled the skimmer out of traffic and up into the garage. Thank you. I should probably go around there tonight and pick up my books and stuff. We got out of the car. I'll help. You need a truck? No, it should all fit in here. I don't really have that much. Harrison met us at the door. Welcome home, Miss Grace, Mr. Stansfield. Mr. Grace will be dining at the office tonight, so dinner can be served whenever you're ready. Now's fine, Harrison. I'm starved. We sat in the informal dining room again, and were immediately served with barbecued ribs, a few small potatoes, and broccoli. It was the finest meal I'd had in a long time, or at least since the night before. When I had taken the edge off of my hunger, I wiped my fingers off and looked across the table at Natalie. You and your dad... You're not fruit bats, are you? She paused. No. Not bug bats, either. Insectivores. Right. You're not insectivores. Natalie looked down at the huge plate of meat in front of her, then back up at me. Is that important to you? I kicked myself. How could I have been so stupid? The whole thing came out completely wrong, like some kind of accusation. Do you... drink blood? I winced. That hadn't helped any. Only when I'm all the way back. Like this, I'm just mostly carnivorous. She waved a fork over the meal. If you want more vegetables, I can... No, no, please, this is fine. The pause stretched painfully long. That's the reason I stay halfway most of the time. I don't like drinking blood. I'm sorry. That came out really bad, and... No, I, I understand. The vampires haven't got a great reputation, and some of it rubs off on people who share the name. But, you know, you can't judge someone by that. Dad told me about a vampire police officer 
Morgan something or another? One of the good guys. Yeah, I know. We had a unit on vampire rights my senior year. Lots of shining examples of peaceful coexistence and all that. I put my utensils down and looked her in the eye. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I spoke without thinking, and it was insensitive of me. Apology accepted. Now, are you done eating? I had eaten one rib and started on a second. No. Good. Neither am I, and this is delicious. So let's get back to it, hmm? You've been listening to episode 48 of the Metamore City Podcast. Written by Nobilis Reed. Performed by Chris Lester. And edited by Scott Roche and Paulette Jackson. This episode featured the vocal talents of Chris Lester as Ben Stansfield and Nathan Grace. May Breakall as Female Ben. Tristan Johnson as Police Officer. Kitty Nikian as V. Nathan Lowell as Harrison. Kimmy Alexander as Natalie Grace. Brian Lincoln as Conrad. Mark Smith as Lieutenant Harcourt. And Megan Bomberger as Ms. Kennedy. Some music provided by David Beard at davidbeardmusic.com, used with permission. Other music and sound effects provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com, SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, and the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. Additional sound effects work by Chris Lester. This audio adaptation of Dreams of Change was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Berkeley, California. The story is copyright 2009 by Nobilis Reed, and the recording is copyright 2010 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. down to the docks this week. You hear about this new exhibition? Exhibition? Yeah, them folks what did the world's first steampunk expos back in. Good lord! Ain't they got the girl genius artist? Yeah, and James Blaylock. And John Watts-his-name. Sarah Agari, yeah. Yeah, him what made the big copper snail car. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Get your exhibition tickets now. The Nova Albion Steampunk Exhibition, March 12th through 14th in Emeryville, California. Spend three days in the world that might have been. Information and tickets at steampunkexhibition.com. Can't say as I ever seen nothing like that before. What about that one in Hyde Park back in the 50s? Oh, yeah, gone. Forgot about that one. www.steampunkexhibition.com Hello? Who's this? Who are you looking for? I don't know. (laughs) I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Night now. Wait! Don't hang up! What's that noise? I'm popping popcorn. I'm getting ready to watch a DVD. Oh yeah? What movie? Just some horror flick. Do you like scary movies? Oh yeah.
I love them. Then you should listen to the Trickster Moon Presents podcast. Trickster Moon Presents? Yeah. Trickster Moon is an independent horror film production company working on their first short film, Blood and Dust, about this hot and dangerous young thing caught in the middle of a zombie outbreak. And the people behind the movie are podcasting their entire experience from beginning to end. We're talking about everything from raising the funds to shopping for the equipment right on down the line to making the final cut. And you get a free behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to make a horror film from the ground up. And even scarier, you get to help them out by voting on stuff like casting decisions and locations. Not to mention, you get access to original works of fiction and audio dramas fleshing out the world of blood and dust. It's a total scream for fans of horror and movie making. You listen? Of course. Have you checked out the website yet? You can download episodes, read the blog, check out the synopsis for the short film, and even donate to the production budget. I just subscribed through iTunes. What's the website address? www.trickstermoon.com If you love horror as much as I do, you should definitely check it out. I'm already there. So, what's your favorite horror movie? Well, I don't know if I could pick just one, but... If I had to. Saw five, maybe? <sighs> yeah, I've definitely got the wrong number. <gasps> I lose more creepy phone perverts that way. Find Trickster Moon Presents on iTunes or at www.tricksermoon.com. Hi, this is Arkle host of the Geek of All Trades podcast and author of And Here's to You, available at stores.lulu.com slash Arkle. And you're listening to the Metamore City podcast. Hey, everybody. And finally, we are back. My apologies for this episode being so incredibly, ridiculously late. I can't blame this one on anyone but myself. Paulette had the finished audio in my hands last weekend, and I just didn't get to it. Teaching's really been taking it out of me this semester, and last week I just decided I needed a couple days to recover. I was hoping to pick it up again on Monday and Tuesday night, but then lesson planning got in the way of that, and just didn't work out. It wasn't until this weekend that I had another chance to pick it up again. I've come to realize that this system of racing to put together every new episode just isn't working for me anymore. It's too sensitive to technical difficulties, casting issues, and, frankly, my burnout. Because of that, I've decided to make some changes in how we do things around here. There's three more episodes in Dreams of Change, and those are going to air as close to our regular bi-weekly schedule as I can manage. Once those are done, though, Metamore City will be going on hiatus, and Clippy, Snippy, and I are going to work on putting together the next story. Once all the episodes in that story are ready, then we'll begin releasing it. Probably one episode per week, but don't quote me on that. Then we'll get to work on the next story. That one won't begin airing until all of its episodes are finished. In this way, I'm hoping that we'll be able to avoid the sorts of mid-story interruptions that can make listening to podcast series so frustrating. Now, this may or may not work but what I'm doing right now definitely isn't working, so I hope you'll bear with me while I experiment a little bit with a new system. 
In other news, if you are in the San Francisco Bay Area next weekend, be sure to come and check out the Nova Albion Steampunk Exhibition. It's being held Friday through Sunday at the Hilton in Emeryville, California. The cost is 50 bucks for the whole weekend, which includes the Victorian Dance Lessons and Steampunk Ball on Friday night. I'll be on staff to do podcasting for the event, which will include interviews with the guests of honor and any other creative types who I can drag into the boardroom with me. Gail Carriger, Miss Calendar, and J. Daniel Sawyer will also be there, so come on down and say hello. You can find out more at steampunkexhibition.com. If you're a fan of J. Daniel Sawyer's antithesis progression, and if you're not, what is wrong with you? then you'll be glad to know that the official soundtrack for Book One is going to be released very, very soon. I was over at Artistic Whisper Studios this weekend, and I got a sneak peek at what Dan and his composer, Danny Shade, are working on. It is going to be very cool, folks. I love what they're cooking up. Keep an eye out for further details at jdsawyer.net. Finally, if you'd like to leave feedback about the show, you can sound off at 206-202-8530. That is 206-202-8530. You can email your comments in text or audio to feedback at metamorcity.com. You can also post your comments on the blog at metamorcity.com or the fan-led forums at thecurse.org. Or you can join our Facebook group, Fans of Metamore City. Lastly, a huge thanks to everyone who's continued to show your love and support for the show through the Metamore City tip jar, which is on the website. I am immensely grateful for all your help in paying the bills and keeping this place running. That's all for this time, Metamorphs. Our next episode is scheduled for March 21st. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Are we ready? My throat feels a little gluey. Lost my deep voice on that one. If you boys are... Oh, boy. I was totally wrong. Sorry.